0: Thank you, Paul. Welcome, 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 everybody. It is good to see you. However, you found us, whether this is home, whether this is visiting, glad to have you with us. Having thinking, um, especially in that worship as well, you look at scripture and you look at the way the church has been over um, history, and you see, see a common theme is that God does not pour his spirit out on the comfortable. Unfortunately, that's the nature of our God. God does not pour out His Spirit on the comfortable. Which means that if we want to see a move of God in our time, we want to see God take hold of us, take hold of our families, our church, our schools, take hold of this nation. I And Don't say that in some strange take-over-the-world way. I mean, see people step into purpose. See people find peace, hope, joy. The exciting part is... That if God doesn't pour His Spirit out in the comfortable, who does He pour His Spirit? He pours His Spirit on those who are desperate for Him, who are thirsty, who are in need of a move of God. So that simply means all we have to do is be hungry for Him. And He shows up. What an exciting prospect that is. That when we come into this room, every single one of us, we have a part to play in this. Am I hungry to see God move? Or am I comfortable in my routine? And if we know God does not pour his spirit out on the comfortable. Yeah, you might get swept up in the, the hype of it, in the excitement of it. But if you want to move God in your life, I want to ask you the question, are you hungry for it? That has nothing to do with what we're going to talk about this morning. But I feel like I'm excited. It almost feels like God's ready. It's like it's there for the taking. Like God's got his arm out being like, I'm ready to move in your life. Are you hungry? I'm just excited about it. I think the more we gear ourselves up as a community, the more I think we will see God do incredible things in this room. So we're going to go into, this is week four technically, but really week three of our series, By Invitation Only. This is our vision focus for the year 2022-23. Our year runs from September through till August. And uh, someone said to me, so term time. I was like, no, 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 it's like the church year. And it's like, yeah, yeah, term time. Turns out it's term time. So I forgot that's what schools are like. So we run from September to August. So our vision focus for this year is by invitation only. And we're going to spend four weeks or so As I said, this is week three. Looking at what does it mean to be a people of invitation. And if we are going to be a people of invitation, we need to understand first God's invitation to us. So let's look at it. Have you ever felt uh, in one of those places where you were completely excluded from something? As in you were completely on the outside, left out, a little bit alone. You're looking in on something going... Yeah, I really don't feel like I belong in there. I really don't feel like I fit in that space. Maybe this has been how you, maybe you felt, you throw your mind back to your primary school or high school days. You, some, some people went through that, that feeling of just not fitting in, just the world just didn't make sense. Maybe that's most young people. And maybe you felt like this in a job or in a friendship group or something in your life where you've just felt like, I feel excluded from this. I feel like I'm on the outside of this thing. I remember a few years ago, me and a friend, we decided that we were going to play football. And we played football for a little bit, but we decided this was the year we're going to play proper football. Like We're going to join a team. It's in a league. We're going to, we're going to show up. We're going to play every single Saturday, 11 a side against other teams. We'll travel around. We'll play football. So we decided let's do it. And a friend of mine, an acquaintance of mine, I say not because he wasn't a friend, but it was a bit of a distant friend. I messaged him and said, hey, I heard that you're a manager of a football team. Me and a friend are really keen to come and join. How, how would that suit you guys? And um, I think it was kindness. But he said, yeah, sure. That sounds great. Why don't you come down to one of our games? It's an away game, so you might have to travel a little bit. Come down, watch the team play, get to meet the team, and you can join, like I'll put you on the team sheet. And I, we both felt really like, this is exciting. This is, this is what we, I, I didn't think it would be this easy. We're gonna play football every single Saturday. It's like a proper league, it felt, it felt substantial. So my friend jumped in the car and we drive down to wherever it was. And when we got there, we stood on the sideline, we watched the team play, and uh, they played really well, and we were quite excited, and we were thinking in our heads, we are the best players this team will have ever seen in their lives. In fact, just sign me up now, I should be a professional. Like, we, we we were like, you know, we hadn't played in a while either, so... I couldn't remember how bad I quite, quite how bad I was, but I remember I remember being on the sideline. we were really excited, almost full of like you know little kids, like oh we we'll get to play, we'll be playing in next week. And um, so the manager comes over. Great to see you guys. Really great to meet you. And the rest of the team kept their distance, and they all stood like this. Not a joke. They all had their hands on the hips, looking at us. We're like awkwardly looking at them. And they made it very clear from the outside, from the the outset, you are not welcome here. Okay, for whatever reason, maybe some of them were a little bit fearful of losing their position in the team, or maybe if some people joined the team, then they might not be able to play as often or whatever it was, but they made it very clear from the beginning that we were not welcome. And I'm talking like peak British pettiness right you know you know the type this was like this was like a largely overweight man smoking a cigarette in his mid 40s asking me are you fit enough to join this team mate not a joke uh, there there was people when we were talking to the manager he was explaining stuff there was a guy shouting the manager's name the whole time and when he finally was like sorry boys what is it he were to ask the manager a question about, are those two lads gonna join this team? Like we didn't even exist. And I'm talking like, we were like, oh, it's probably just one of those hazing processes that you you know, like on American films where like they bully the newcomers and then they're best friends and they win the championship and it's all so amazing. Nah, this isn't American, this is not a film. Genuinely, this is not a joke. We go into the change rooms the next week if there was a bib that was broken or a bib that smelt or a, a shirt without a number on it or a broken something, it got given to us in the changing rooms. If there was two sides, we got in there, our stuff had already been out across from everyone else. completely true story. It was like they made it so clear that we did not belong in this team. Again, I don't know, didn't ask, but for whatever reason... Whether it was they felt like they were going to lose their place. Or maybe it was like, hey, we've got a good thing going. We don't know these guys. For whatever reason, they made it very, very clear. We do not want you in this team. It was very, very uncomfortable. We played one season with them. And I said to my friend, have a great next season. You probably won't be seeing us. Any reason? Nah, just not for us, I don't think. Yeah, I mean, what am I going to say? It was a horrible experience, and I felt very, very unwanted the whole time, actually. No, I think it would have made it worse. I said, it's not for us. Have a great season. Enjoy winning games with your amazing team. <laughs> whatever reason, they made it very, very, very clear that this was an exclusive group of people that did not want anyone else with them. When we talk about our vision focus as a church, by invitation only, many of our minds will jump straight to that same place of by invitation only sounds exclusive. It sounds just like that football team where, no, no, you don't get to join this team. You can only be invited into this space. And if everyone accepts you, then you can stay. Often our minds will go there by invitation only. If you get the invite and if your face fits and if everyone seems to click, then you get to stay in this room. But unlike that football team and that amazing learning experience that me and my friend went on, unlike that football team, the heart of the Church of Jesus is one of embrace and one of invitation. And unlike that football team, the goal of the church of Jesus is not to be an exclusive group of people, but to be a group of people that invite others into the space. I don't just mean here on a Sunday. I mean into the presence of God, into prayer, into our lives. It is not to keep people shut out for whatever reason. Oh, we've got a good thing going here. I really like the setup of Light Church at the moment. We don't want anyone else to come in and ruin it, do we? We don't want anyone, new people to come in and make us feel like we don't know all the faces that are around. The heart of the church of Jesus is one of invitation and embrace. But I wonder sometimes, do we slip into that thinking? We slip into that place where we almost see broken people and sinners that are in desperate need of Jesus, we see them as a distraction or a disruption or a dilution into our environment, into our culture. And I'm not stood here saying this morning, we've done this, we need to repent. I'm saying sometimes we can slip really, really unknowingly into a place where we can begin to judge people for the way they live their lives and how it is they've ended up in this space we are not that football team. We are the people of Jesus who are here to invite and embrace those who are lost and in desperate need of Jesus. So if we were to read some of the Gospels, Jesus demonstrates the nature of his invitation to us. So if we are going to be that, that environment, that nurturing place where people are invited into, then we need to first understand that Jesus has invited us to himself. So before we understand our invitation, we need to understand the nature of his invitation. It shows us what it means to invite others. So we're going to read from Luke chapter 5, verses 27 to 32. This is a really, really good passage. And we touched on a little bit of this a couple weeks ago. That We talked about how Jesus called his disciples and invited them to himself. So Luke 5, 27 to 32 says this. After this, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. He said to him, follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. And Levi made him a great feast at his house. And there was a, huge, it was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at the table with them. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples, saying, why do, you eat with, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. This is a really, really impactful verse and I think it a uh, passage, and it comes at a timely place for us as well. And Just for those of you wondering, I was reading out the ESV in case you want to follow along, but it will be on the screen. A little bit of context, and you can keep this, this slide up for me, Chris. A little bit of context about the book of Luke. Luke was written by a man called Luke. And um, he also wrote the book of Acts. Now, Contested a little bit with scholars, but this is interesting for us. It is written, widely believed written, uh, Luke wrote Acts and Luke. Why is this important? It is important because Luke was involved in the establishment of the early church. Luke wrote this between AD 64 and AD 70, which was when the apostle Paul, who established a lot of the church plants in the early church and saw the movement of the gospel spread, he was being held in prison, awaiting his trial. And Luke sat down, and this is what scholars say, Luke retrospectively wrote this gospel. Okay, so some people refer to, uh, to the gospels as eyewitness, and they are, but it wasn't like he was following around with a pen and paper or a, a feather and some papyrus writing this down as he went. He was able to sit for a few years, look back at the whole happenings of Jesus, and condense the story and the person and the mission of Jesus into his gospel. So why is that important for us? Well, Luke Luke knew that the person of Jesus, the, the character of Jesus, the heart of Jesus shaped the early church. So when Luke is writing his gospel, he's retrospectively writing it, knowing that this is gonna shape the early church. Okay, and you might be like, well, maybe he's biased, maybe he adds other things in. The other gospels balance up his stories. Balance up his writings. So he faithfully writes down and he is writing in the context to shape the church. So for you and I, we get to read the book of Luke and the Holy Spirit can make this known to us today. But even on a logical level, this book was written to shape the early church around the person and character of Jesus. Just the same for you and I today. When we read this book, the book of Luke, when we read this passage, we're understanding that Luke is telling us something about the nature of Jesus, the nature of his heart, the nature of his character. And that impacts the way we do church today. It can shape what it means to be a Christian. What it shapes what it means to do mission as a Christian. It shapes what it means to even just be a follower of Jesus. That was Luke's intent when he was writing to shape the early church. So we're gonna walk through this passage, three key parts of this passage, and I believe that it will speak to us, I think it's timely for us as a church as well, as we step into this next season of whatever God has for us. And this comes right out of scripture, there's no bending, there's no biblical gymnastics to make this passage say what I want it to say. This is faithful Bible teaching, right from the word, straight to us as a church, and God is speaking to us all the time. So. Chris, you flick up that first one. Let's go to um, verse 27 and 28. It says this. After this, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. Here's my thought. Jesus sees you right where you are. Jesus sees you right where you are and welcomes you right where you are. As we see in this passage, Jesus, when it says this, after this, okay, I don't use this to say after this, I'm saying it's a quote. After this, this meaning Jesus, he had dealt with a paralyzed man. He had dealt with a leper. He had dealt with a demon possessed man. And now he is here dealing with a tax collector. You kind of see this path. Luke's showing us something about the types of people that Jesus is reaching and speaking to. After this, now he is with a tax collector. For those of you who know, tax collectors in those times were despised people. Completely despised people. They would bid for the, the, the account to be able to collect taxes off people. And as long as the Romans got what they were owed, the tax, the tax collector themselves could extort the people get as much money as they wanted as long as rome got their money so you've got these tax collectors they would highest bidder would get it and as in the person who would give them the most tax and usually they were people that were from the jewish faith or obviously those who were gentiles but in this case we see that that levi is in this little in between okay because when you become a tax collector listen to this the jews would excommunicate you from the temple So they would say you're no longer welcome. You are a disgrace to you and your family. So your family would disgrace you. And you are not allowed to be trusted. So your witness in court was not trusted. You are literally written down as a person that you are not a trusted person. Your witness does not stand in a court. Nor can you be a judge in a court. So that tells you everything you need to know about how people, and not just just Jews, the Romans saw them as very, very, very untrustworthy people. So we see Jesus approaching Levi. Where? At his place of work, right where he was every single day. Levi was sat there in his mess, excommunicated, disgraced, marginalized, pushed out, all of his own accord, all of his own doing. Very, very, very wealthy man but not many people to share it with other than his tax collector colleagues. Jesus sees you where you are and he welcomes you. This is just the same. This is what he did for Levi and it is what he does to every single one of us. No matter where you are in your life right now, no matter the setup that you've got going on, no matter the life that you have lived or the life you are living right now, God speaks to you. He meets you right where you're at and more so than that, he welcomes you He welcomes you in the place that you are at right now. Some of you have come into this place and are feeling like, I really want to meet God. I feel like I'm just so distant. It's always just this out of reach. I can never just seem to. God is speaking to you right where you are right now. Maybe it's through thoughts of, I really need to get myself to church. Maybe it's through some people. Maybe God is speaking to you through his word, but God is speaking to you wherever you are right now, no matter how difficult or messed up it feels, God meets you where you are. And this is the encouraging thing. Levi was disgraced by people, yet welcomed by Jesus. And for you and I, Jesus is not put off by the views about you from other people. Jesus sees you for who you truly are. He approaches you in your worst moments and sees you in your best moments. He approaches you in those really dark times and sees you for all that he has made you to be. And he simply invites you to him, just like he does with Levi. Follow me. Right where you are, right in this moment, right in the mess, he simply says, follow me. He's not put off by the way that other people see you or even the way you see yourself for that matter. What I love about this as well, wow, have you ever thought about this? So we read a couple weeks ago that Jesus also called uh, James, John and Peter. He okay, calls James, John and Peter. They were fishermen. And then he also calls Levi. Now, again, Levi is a tax man hated by everyone. Who do you think Levi is taxing? The fishermen. Fishermen hated text men. What did Jesus do? I need to find a group of 12 people who are going to be best buddies to start the revolution of the gospel here on planet Earth. You know who I'm going to pick? A group of people that cannot stand one another. Why? Because when you are around the person of Jesus, it is the only place, the only thing, the only person that can reconcile all of our human differences. Why do you think the church stands as a beacon for the world that God exists? It's because in any other context, this room would not exist. There are so many times that people look into the church and say, how is it that that is like that? The person of Jesus is the only way that we can all be reconciled to one another. Not because I hate you all. Just FYI. But he called a group of people together who genuinely would have despised one another. You imagine Levi in that moment. Levi said, look, and leaving everything. Now the fishermen, they don't forget how to fish. Yet it's a huge deal for them to give up their fishing business. Huge deal for them to leave. But they could go back if they wanted. Levi, he's like, this guy comes up, come follow me. And he goes, I will never be able to get back into this. I'm going to be forfeiting my contract with the Romans. They're going to hate me. I'm excommunicated from my family and from the temple, so I don't really exist in that world either. This is a really, really big risk, and it costs him everything. What did we say at the beginning? God does not pour his spirit out on the comfortable, but on those who are willing to count the cost and say, I don't mind what it looks like. I just want to follow you. Levi gave up everything. I got sent something this week where it was talking about the disciples. They gave up their predictable stability. Beautiful, isn't it? Predictable stability. How many of us like our predictable stability? We know what life is going to look like. We're happy to go on those rails for the next few years. And then we arrive and we wonder why it is we feel so empty and lifeless. When God is simply saying there's an adventure awaiting you, just come follow me. Right where you are, right in the mess that you're in, just come and follow. So Jesus sees you where you are and he welcomes you where you are. Next slide for me, Chris. So verses 29 and 30 says this, Levi made him a great feast in his house and there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at a table with him. And the Pharisees, so the teachers of the law, the ones who would rule the temples, and their scribes, their little apprentices, grumbled at his disciples, saying, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Picture this. Levi gives up everything, completely everything. He's found in this moment where... He just experienced something that he has never experienced before. Freedom like he's never experienced before. Purpose like he's never experienced. I can't get in the mind of Levi in this moment because I'm sure he was also like, have I made the right decision? But what does he do? He throws a huge party. And those who are religious and those who are supposed to be the teachers of the law, the ones representing God, begin to grumble at his disciples. Side note on that, do you not find that interesting that the Pharisees grumbled at the disciples? It's exactly the same for us today. And if you call yourself a Christian, you are the representation of Jesus in your workplace. You will get lots of grumbling that is actually aimed at Jesus. That's just part of this job. Just to encourage you when you feel a little bit worn down when people are grumbling at you. Most of it is aimed at Jesus. Jesus. But we get the honor of standing in that place and representing him to all of those that we know. So Levi, he gave up everything. But this wasn't a sad day for Levi. What does he do? Freedom. He throws this pie and he invites all of his colleagues, all of the people that, the, that society would look at and go, Why are they all together? Look at them. Look at this little den of thieves. This little den of like exploiters. Look at this like rotten bunch of people that no one likes. You can totally imagine them as people are walking past this thing or watching them all together. Look at them, filthy. As if they could do do what they do. And it says then others paint in this picture that it was like the misfits of society, like the the bad get together in this house of Levi. And Jesus is reclining at a table. This shows us something. When someone reclines at a table in those days, it showed peace. It showed like like a handshake. It's the equivalent of a handshake. Think about this for a second. The Pharisees look in and see Jesus sat with these people. And they begin to whine and moan and grumble. Levi experienced something profound when Jesus spoke to him. And his first thought, was to invite others into it. I read a a quote from a a commentary writer, and he said this, a saved man does not want to go to heaven alone. In other words, when you experience the life-changing power of Jesus, you don't want to keep it to yourself. You want to share it with every single person that you know, every single person you come up close with. Let me tell you what I have experienced The first thing he did was to throw a party and get Jesus in the middle of it. He wanted people to experience what he had experienced. And then the Pharisees kick off and they see, ultimately what they see is they see Jesus hanging with them. And they think that Jesus is going to be diluted by their uncleanliness. Okay, so when the Pharisees look in on this, technically it wasn't... Jesus wasn't going to clean these people in their heads. Jesus is hanging around with the bad ones. They're going to impact Jesus, even from a ceremonial perspective. He would be unclean, a teacher, sitting down with these people. Jesus welcomes you in to send you back out. That's the nature of the invitation of Jesus. We see this. Jesus welcomes you in restores you, gives you hope, gives you peace, gives you purpose, and then sends you out back to where you came from. I wanna ask us the question today. I wanna sit on this for a little bit. Are we sharing this life transformation, this amazing news that we have got, this crazy change of heart and mind? Are we sharing that with those who are around us? I want to just maybe do a little bit of housekeeping for those who call Light Church home. Our church in general exists, every church in general exists for three things to glorify God, to equip saints, and to reach the world. And it's in that order. That's the church in general, not the gatherings, the church. We exist as a body to glorify God, equip the saints, equip Christians, and to um, reach the world. That's the biblical order of the church. Now, these gatherings that we have on Sunday mornings, we've always been so intentional about making these spaces for people who have never stepped foot in church before to feel comfortable in this room, that these rooms are accessible for someone like that. And then we we have our duty to create other spaces, other contexts where maybe it's not an invite a friend type thing, it's a come in and experience God and come in and and get fed and come in and be trained and those types of spaces. But this Sunday gathering has always been really intentionally set up so that people can come into this room and not feel like it is this foreign universe that they have never really, they can't really, like, what do these words mean? What does, what's all this going on? I don't, this just doesn't feel familiar. We've been so intentional from the very beginning about making these spaces that are accessible for those who are far away from Jesus these Sunday gatherings. And I want to say this. A lot of what we do here will be misunderstood unless your neighbors are sat beside you. A lot of what we do as a church won't make sense in our gatherings if you have not got your family member who doesn't know Jesus sat next to you. A lot of the way we do things, the way we set up, the way that we present this whole thing will not make sense to you unless there are some people that you have brought with you that need to meet Jesus. Because all of a sudden, when you're thinking about them sat next to you, things begin to click. Why does Dan do an altar call every single week? Why do we give people the opportunity to, like it, most of us are Christians here, I get it. Because we will never, never stop making these spaces where people can come in and experience the life transforming power of Jesus. I agree we've got work to do to create spaces of, of depth and encounter and places where we don't invite people into But these spaces make sense. Like Paul said, if you were here last week and you saw this room packed out, probably 40% of that room either did not want to be there or are complete atheists and didn't even believe that what we are doing here even matters. And you know what? Everything made sense. The way that people were hosted in this room, the way that people were welcomed, the songs that we sung, the way that we communicated to people and people didn't leave going like what why were they chatting about a lamb being slain that's a bit strange people left going i did not expect that i think i actually might go back i did not expect that to come out of a church especially in rural filed the way we do things makes sense when you step out and invite those in your world and here's what i've got to say this is a partnership For a few years of my life, I was very embarrassed to bring people to my church. I didn't feel like we were set up for new people. I didn't feel like we had this thing that would really help people. And some of you are like, I was in that church. I know. I was a kid at the time. But this is what I want to say. This is a partnership. If you stick your neck out in your world and invite some people into this room, to encounter the presence of God, I promise you we will not embarrass you. I promise you we will honor your invite and we will make this a space where people can come in and feel at home and feel welcomed and feel known and feel seen because there are so many churches so we desperately want to see people come in. Again, not to take over the world, but so people can find freedom from the darkness that they sit in. And there are so many churches that put so many obstacles in the way of people finding Jesus. We will not be one of those. Everything that we do is set up so that the outsider can make it into these seats and feel just like us. We will honor your invite. This is a partnership. We will do everything we can. But I promise you this, no marketing strategy, no PR, no social media thing, no nothing will reach your friends like you can. There is nothing I can do to reach your family and reach your friends to give them the hope that the gospel has to offer like you can. This is a partnership. We will do everything we can to honor your invitation. But you have to invite people into this space. That's not a telling off in case you're wondering. This is an encouragement. I saw last week and I saw people packed in this room with people far from Jesus experiencing the presence of God. That's what it's about. That's why we're here, to glorify God, to equip Christians and to reach the world. Jesus welcomes us in and sends us out. The Christian life is a all hands on deck sort of a life. We could could paint the picture of a cruise ship and we could paint the picture of a lifeboat. Some of us want the cruise ship church where we come in, like, Hello, Mr. Smith, your deck chair is waiting. Come here, let me put your towel out for you. That would be nice. I would like that sometimes. There's times I wake up on a Sunday morning and think, "Ah, We have a lot of tables to move today. Ah, I don't think I can preach another message knowing that I'm really smelling up here. None of you can smell it because I've carried so many tables. Do we have to do this again? Or there's the lifeboat picture. Out in the darkness and in the choppiness of the seas, pulling people out of the water, keeping them warm, nursing them back to health, and then saying, come and help. Pull some more people out. That's the picture of the church that I want to be part of. Even if I have to preach a message knowing that I smell. Now you all know. You'll be watching me every week. Jesus welcomes us in to send us out. I'm encouraged actually by the way that God is preparing us as a church. If we can get our heads around this invitation. And I want you to know this and this isn't an arrogant statement from me because it's not me, it's an amazing team. What we have in here is amazing. And not not just in one or two ways but in a lot of ways what we do as a church is incredible. And what we do and the way we do it and the way we have a heart to see people come in to step into a relationship with Jesus is really, really, really amazing. But it's on all of us to do this together. Okay, that's enough of that. Verse 31 and 32, for me, Chris. Final bit. It says this, And Jesus answered them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. This is Jesus. Remember what Luke is doing in the context of this? He's shaping the mission of the early church. So he says, just as a doctor cannot help, uh, cannot avoid sick people. Kind of be a pointless doctor, wouldn't it? I only deal with healthy people. No, a doctor cannot avoid sick people interestingly what does that mean for the doctor imagine if every person that went in uh, to to see a doctor and then that person left and that doctor's colleagues was like oh we can't be near you you've seen a sick person They would be on their own all of their lives no one would be a doctor that's not how it works they put things in place obviously to make sure that they're not being infected and all that sort of stuff and they clean and they're well set up and all that sort of stuff but just as a doctor cannot avoid sick people, Jesus is saying, I have come here for the sinners. It's like, Jesus, I cannot avoid the sinners. That's why I'm here. But this is really interesting. So the Pharisees looking at Jesus and they go, you unclean person, how could you be doing this? And Jesus is responsible like, oh, I'm not here for those who are healthy. I'm here for those who are sick. I'm here to see sinners repent. And then he says, obviously, I'm not here for the, Righteous. Now, he says this. You might be like, oh, does that mean there are like these righteous people that don't need Jesus and then unrighteous people who do? Jesus was being very, very clever with the Pharisees here. The Pharisees had this belief that they held every law. That they were this perfect sort of, they knew they sinned, but they would do their sacrifices. And they would go through all of the ceremonial programs and things to ensure that they were clean. So they saw themselves as righteous, as clean, and everyone else as unclean. So when Jesus says, I haven't come for those who are righteous, even though the Bible says we've all, fall sin- we've all fallen short. We've all sinned, every single one of us, including the Pharisees. Jesus did come for them. But what he's saying is, I have not come to help people who have not acknowledged that they need help. I've come for those who are in desperate need of me, who have acknowledged their brokenness, and I will help them. So the Pharisees would be there being a bit like, hmm, okay. Is he talking about us? I have not come to call the righteous, but to call sinners to repent. Many of us, Many of us find ourselves in a position where we read this passage and I've done this in my life, so I'm not coming down on anyone at all, where you see yourself as righteous. Oh, I'm pretty good. I go to church every week. I read my Bible all the time. Like I am actually a pretty good person. And when you have that view, it gives you the ability to look down on other people and judge them. I've been there so many times. It's something I've constantly had to say to some friends, you're going to have to pull me in line. I know this is something I tend to I, I am a Pharisee for sure. Jesus is saying, I've come for those who acknowledge their brokenness. I don't know where you're at today. Whether you would say, I don't think I need a savior. I think I'm all good. think, uh, oh, no, actually, no, Jesus did do this in my life back then. And I've kind of figured it out in the meantime. Have you acknowledged the brokenness? That is the human condition. And those of us who have said yes to Jesus and stepped into a relationship with him, we've been made new. We've been through that. But then once you've been through that, you are now at risk of, like I said, being a Pharisee and looking and saying, we don't want them. Maybe we've slipped into the thinking of the church being a VIP experience for those who are spiritually more nourished than others. Because that's not what this is. That's not what the church of Jesus is. It is not a hotel, haven for those who have their life together. It is a place where hope can be found. And the message of Jesus permeates every single one of us. Driving us to be the people that God has called us to be. Fueled by the Holy Spirit. Set on fire. That the world may look in at a church so impassioned by the Spirit of God that they cannot ignore it. That's the church of Jesus Christ. I'm going to invite the team up. Jesus will be found with the desperate and the needy because they are not hiding their brokenness anymore. Maybe there's some areas of our lives that we've been hiding, pretending that we're all good and we've got it all together. Jesus simply says this, I have come to call sinners to (coughs) repentance. I have come to draw you to myself. All you have to do is respond. Like I said, this is not a, this is not a telling off. Or this, is not, this is something we've got drastically wrong. This is an encouragement that God has brought us to the edge of something. And I believe that this next season for us as a church is going to be very significant. That when people walk into this room, the way that we accept them or reject them. He's gonna tell them everything they need to know about the person of Jesus. Jesus sees you where you are and he welcomes you. Jesus welcomes you in and he sends you out to work. That's literally the nature of the invitation. And Jesus will always draw close to those who acknowledge their need for him. And I need Jesus. We all need Jesus. We need a move of God in our time. Ephesians 2, verses 4 and 5, shows us, it kind of sobers us up. If we've been caught up in the I'm so righteous mindset, Ephesians will sober us up and say this. In Ephesians 2, 4 to 5, But because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in our transgressions, it is by grace that you have been saved. Even when you were dead, even when you were messed up, even when you were broken, Christ died for you to give you hope and make you alive again.